Well, friends, uh, we are starting a new series, just a two-part series called By No Means. Uh, we wrapped up Esther last week, and uh, if you missed out on that, there you could always watch online. It was a great series as we dove into the Persian Empire and how God specifically saved the Jewish people from a kill order uh, that would have annihilated all of them, but God showed up even without his name being mentioned in that book. He showed up and saved the day in its, in its amazing series. So by all means, go back and review that on uh, YouTube if you didn't get the chance. But uh, particularly, I was thinking for this series, um, where, where do we go? Uh, Pastor Don's going to be coming. I was mistaken. I thought he was going to be preaching next week. I actually have two weeks before he'll begin to preach. And uh, what do I do at that time? And I really was thinking about Lent and, and what that is. Like, you see, we as Protestants, uh, we do really great with Advent, right? We've got Advent coming up right after Thanksgiving. Uh, we go enter into the season where we prepare for Easter. And I think we do a pretty good job of that. As Easter comes around, though, I would say that we've got Easter week down, right? Starting with Palms Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. We got Easter itself that we do a pretty good job there. Uh, but when it comes to this thing called Ash Wednesday, uh, the, the, the 40 days of Lent, like, do we really talk much about it? Do you even know what it means? Uh, for example, the word Lent means the lengthening of days. So what does that have to do with anything? Well, frankly, it means the springtime, Right. And so as we approach, what, what do we do with this? But we, as Protestants, like I said, uh, we, we might not necessarily talk a whole lot about it, but we do have some of the tendencies. So, for example, Lent is a time of fasting, of prayer, and almsgiving. And back in November, we talked about that in our series called In Secret. Uh, but as people prepare for the fasting and the praying and the almsgiving, uh, they have something called Fat Tuesday. Do you guys know? Uh, show of hands, who knows what Fat Tuesday is? Okay, how many of you guys know what Mardi Gras is? Okay, a few more of you actually know what Mardi Gras is. This is the day before Ash Wednesday. And the reason it's called Fat Tuesday is people would literally eat all of these uh, decadent, these fatty foods before they feast enough feast, I'm sorry, before they fast. And so they, they kind of get it all out of their system and then they fast for 40 days. By the way, uh, 40 days does not include Sundays. If you didn't know that, you learned something new today, right? Sundays are considered feast days. That's where I got the word feast a second ago. They're considered feast days. So you stop your fasting uh, just so that you can kind of celebrate the season as it's coming up. And the rest of the days, you would continue giving up something. And, and you, if you know anything about Lent, you probably know Lent is about giving up something. It's, it's a little unsophisticated, but that's the way it is. But instead, what ends up happening is on Tuesday, right before this whole season starts, you try to get it all out of your system. And that's how Mardi Gras comes, came around. It's this big, huge party where they try to get all of the sin out of their system, right? Like, you don't want to show up in New Orleans... Narlins, that's how you say it, right? You don't want to show up in Narlins during Mardi Gras if you're a good Christian because there's a lot of terrible things happening that you might not want to see, right? You guys laugh because you know it's true. So it got me thinking, though, what, what does the Bible have to say about this? And this, there's a verse that we're going to be studying. You just heard it read uh, that says, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? 
And the answer is by no means. But before we go any further as we search out God's heart through this scripture, let's turn to him in prayer. Uh, Lord, we give you great thanks for your word. We love that you have set aside this living word, the word that is represented in Jesus Christ himself to speak to us even through the years that we might come to understand your will for us. So Lord, through your spirit, work on us. Give us the ears to hear. Give us the mind to comprehend. And give us the courage to work it out. Your holy name, amen. So it begins with this question. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase, that it may abound? Should we? Should we go on sinning? When I was in junior high, uh, I came to understand God as my Savior, right? So when I was eight years old, that was the first time I, I really came to an understanding of who Jesus was. And, and it came through a song that was, Jesus, come into my Lord, uh, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And and when I sang that song, when I prayed that prayer, Jesus became my friend. But in junior high, I started to understand I needed a savior, right? And because every junior higher figures out that they need a savior. Thank you. I at least got one laughed. So, but for me, I, I found myself, as Paul says, I'm doing the very things I don't want to do, and I'm do not doing the things I want to do, right? Like, that's part of junior high, is I, I fell in with this wrong group of kids, and they were going off and doing naughty things, and, and I knew it was naughty, but I wanted to fit in. So I, I'd go and do those things, and at some point in time in my brain, it was just like, well, uh, Jesus is just going to forgive me anyway, so this doesn't matter, Right? They were going off to the mall. I was a mall rat for a couple short years, and, and they were shoplifting from Radio Shack. And, and here I am. What do, what do I do? I know that stealing's wrong, but at the same time, they're my friends, and, and Jesus is going to forgive me anyway, right? They started vandalizing an apartment complex, and, and I know that that was wrong, but what do I do in this moment? Because I so desperately want to fit in, and, and Jesus is going to forgive me, right? We call this fire insurance, right? That because Jesus is going to save me from hell, that it's all right. I, I paid up my insurance. I'm good. So Paul asked, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase, that it may abound? Well, if, if I sin more, doesn't that mean that God can forgive me more? So it's great stuff. Somewhere in my junior high years, I remember it was on an Easter morning, I was asked to give my testimony. And up to that point, I, I was a, a plain vanilla type of kid. Like uh, my church, there's, my testimony is now a lot more sophisticated as I've reflected on my childhood as, as an adult. But the way I felt at the time was that, you know, I, I said the prayer when I was eight years old. I, for the most part, I've been a good kid and my family's been somewhat stable. So I, I don't really have a lot to say other than that Jesus showed up in my life and that I follow him. Well, right before I got up there, this eighth grade girl uh, starts sharing this shocking story of drugs and alcohol and hitting rock bottom. And I'm like, you're in eighth grade. What the heck went wrong in your life, right? And now I'm supposed to get up there and says, well, when I was eight years old, I sang this song. And, and so there's this moment of like, I wanted that I wanted that other testimony. I wanted the one where I hit rock bottom and, and the Jesus forgave me of a whole lot of stuff because that is gonna, that's going to impress other people a little bit more, right? Should I go on sinning so that grace may increase, that it may abound? Well, Paul has an answer to that. 
And you already guessed it because it's the name of the, the, the sermon series. By no means. This, is, this can translate to certainly not. Heck no, exclamation mark, right? Like this is, this is what Paul is saying is that, no, don't go on sinning. That's not what Christ intended for you at all. When Christ entered into your life, something else happened. By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And his explanation is going to reflect back on who Jesus is. In the Apostles' Creed, what do we say? That Jesus was dead and buried and on the third day, he rose again from the dead, right? This, it echoes here in this story. It says, by no means that you are dead, that you were buried, and that you will be raised again with Christ. Like, you should stop sinning because you have gone on this journey with Jesus himself. So we're going to dive in a little bit more into that. So by no means, certainly not stop, end of sentence, Right? says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're, we're going to talk a little bit more about baptism in here in a second. But it starts there. This journey with Christ starts here. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You see that death, buried, resurrection, for if we've been united with him in death like his, a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. If we are identified in his death, we are also identified in his resurrection. So by no means, let's, let's dive into this concept of being dead to sin. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. I underlined old self and crucified. We're going to get back there. But, but this idea of being dead to sin. So uh, just like Christians, uh, the Jews had a way of becoming a Jew. as like being welcomed into the family for someone who was not Jewish. And they went through a process that included, among other things, circumcision and in some cases, baptism. And it was such that when they went through this process and they said, now I am a Jew, they believed, strangely enough, that the old self was so gone, that the old self has been put to death and you were completely new, that literally, legally, you could go marry your sister or your mom. I told you it was weird. But you could go marry your sister or your mom because you were a new person. Right? The old self is dead. It is gone you are new, right? So we know that the old self was crucified with him. We're, we're going to focus in on Christ because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. There's that whole new person, and we're going to get there. But let's first of all talk about the old man. It says the old self. Anthropos is that term self in this case, which can be translated man. And I think it's funnier to think about putting to death the old man, okay? Uh, it's even funnier to think about for women because you're putting to death an old man inside yourself. It's like kind of weird, right? Conceptually. But so this is, this is Carl, right? You guys know Carl. Carl comes from the movie Up. It is the best love story told in less than 15 minutes. It's going to make you cry if you watch it. It's just a great story. But Carl is an old man who has lost his wife and he has lost his way. 
This is, this is what I think of when I think of the old man. Because here he is, he is in this house all by himself, and he has lost hope, and he has his little daily routine, and it stays the same until they threaten to take his house away from him. And in that moment, he, he gets kind of amped up, and he does something he's not supposed to do. He hurts, uh, injures a guy out in front of his house, and they end up wanting to take his house away from him. They're going to put him in a retirement home. But there's a, a film theory out there. This is what the internet was invented for, right? There's a film theory out there that shortly after that courtroom scene that's in the movie, that he actually dies. And the whole rest of the movie is this vision of the afterlife. If you think about it, the, the house itself, he, he puts millions of balloons on it, but that let's admit it, those balloons probably still wouldn't lift the house the way it did, right? And then he goes to paradise, Think about that. The house floats away, goes to paradise, and he lands at Paradise Falls, and then all the adventures ensues from there. And Russell, this kid that ends up being on his doorstep that's trying to earn his explorer's badge in assisting the elderly, helps him become a better man. There's a moment in there, regardless of whether you believe the film theory or not, that I think there's some imagery of dying to the old self and being made new. That through those, uh, the waters of paradise falls, that he let go of once what was in order to grab a hold of what might be. And I was reading about the design in the Pixar. They actually designed him very blocky, very square-like, where his wife was a circular. Because the square represented the past and the circle represented the future. That Carl was stuck in the boundaries of his four walls and he continued just to perpetuate the same thing over and over again, not moving on. Whereas Ellie, his wife, had moved on, right? But by the end of the movie, spoiler alert, he's a new man. He's changed. The old man has been killed. He has died and he is something new. And we do that through the process of being crucified with Christ, crucified in Christ. I mean, that's what Easter is all about, right? We, we, we focus this season, we prepare for the season, really focusing on that Sunday, resurrection, right? That we look forward to that new life, but it only comes through Good Friday, which is the day that suffered the cross. Jesus Christ loved us so much that he got up on that cross and bore our sins. So when it says that we were crucified in Christ, that's talking about how he took all that was, all that had been committed, and he puts it on his shoulders. And he gets up on that cross and says, Lord, God, Father, why have you forsaken me? But he also says it is finished. That the sin had been forgiven it was cleared. It was done. We've been justified. So that old self, that old man that was stuck in its old ways, that lived in us, has now been crucified in Christ on the cross and is no more. That is the power of the cross. So should we go on sinning? No, by no means. It's been put to dead. Let the dead die. And it was... We are buried in Christ. We go back to verse 4 for this. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. This is the symbol. This is the, the, this is the reality of what happens when we baptize someone. 
If you remember being baptized, uh, hopefully if it was immersion, it's even more so, but uh, we take someone and we put them under the water to represent them being buried in Christ. The old self is where we begun, but we bury them in Christ so that when they are raised back out of the baptismal water, they are something new. We are dead to sin, buried in Christ, and raised again in Him. There's something powerful, something beautiful about that. That's why we go through baptism. That's the reason we do what we do. And it says this in that same verse, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. That new life is promised in this process. And we go on this journey with Jesus himself so that we might be raised again. Not raised again in end times only. That's true. That's a, that's a hope that we have for the future. But it's also a reality we have now because we now live in a new life here on earth at this time. So now we died with Christ. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. That it's just not a matter of getting rid of the old, but there's something new to grab a hold of, and it's life with Christ himself. Isn't that an amazing promise? For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Once and done, he's defeated death. Death is no longer an enemy. Death no longer has mastery over him, which because death has no mastery over him, we're, we're something so new that sin no longer has mastery over us in Christ. Should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? No, by no means. Certainly not. We go and we live a different life. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. How profound is this sentence? Let, let me say it again. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. That's salvation. That's simply salvation. He died it once for all that we might be forgiven. But the life he lives, he lives now, currently, present and future tense. He lives to God. And this is the kicker for us. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The old man has been crucified. We have been buried in Christ, and we are now raised again in new life in him. But let's get really practical. I can get up here and I can preach the theology of this and we can feel good as we prepare for Easter with, with some of this knowledge in our back pocket. But what do we really do about it? It's the so what. So, or, or in other words, if we're saying by no means should we sin any longer, by what means should we live? By what means should we live? It says this, therefore, do not let sin reign your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. There's your answer, right? Take that home, put it in your back pocket. Super practical. You guys know how to face any temptation, right? It's a little harder than that, right? The truth is, yes, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. It reminds me of that skit. I shared this video with a friend recently, but Bob Newhart, I think I've shared this even from up here before. Bob Newhart guest showed on a uh, comedy show, 
and he's playing a psychiatrist, and he's behind a desk, and he's in a very, like, psychiatrist, uh, psychologist office, and a patient comes in, and the patient basically says, like, hey, look, I have this overwhelming fear of tight spaces. I'm, I'm claustrophobic. He's like, really? Uh, so uh, what, do you, what do you fear? Well, I, I fear the dark. I, I fear what could happen in these tight spaces. And, and she starts to explain a little bit more about the sphere. And he says, okay, well, I have two very important words for you. She says, well, well should I write them down? I, th- I think I've got a pen. I, he's, he's like, I think you'll remember these. I've got two simple words. Um, okay, well, uh, let me stop and I, let me make sure I take it in. He's like, no, no, no. There's just two words for you. Stop it. <laughs> She's like, what? He's like, stop it. It's not that hard. Just stop it, right? And this, the whole rest of the skit is him basically telling her, stop it. Like, that's kind of what this verse does, right? Should I go on sinning so that grace may abound? No means, by no means. But okay, then how do I stop from sinning? Well, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Yeah, yeah Stop it. <laughs> this is kind of what it's saying. But I want to get a little more practical, and Paul actually gets a little more practical. He says this, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin. And so as I was reflecting on this, what, what are those things that we offer up to sin? Well, there's some Bible verses that actually talk about different parts of our body that we might offer up to sin. I started off with Matthew 18. We're going to get there in a second, but let me just ask you some questions. By what means should we stop from sinning, going on and living in this life? Uh, Well, let me ask, what are the things that you do that head that direction? What are the things that you do that head that direction? In Matthew 18, Jesus says this, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire, right? Really, really harsh verse here. And I'm not recommending any of you go cut off your hands or your feet, okay? But what Jesus really is saying there is like, hey, look, if there's something that causes you to go down that road towards sin, get rid of it, root it out. Make sure that you don't go down that road. And it's his way of saying, by no means, certainly not, no, exclamation mark, right? Get rid of it. And so I was thinking about, okay, the the things that we do is often uh, done with our hands. And and Paul, Paul tells us, instead of giving it off to sin, he says something a little bit different. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. If you know this, this is the passage with the armor of God in it. And you're going to buckle the belt of truth. You're going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You're going to put on the the helmet of salvation. Take up your sword and your shield of faith and, and the word of God. Like you actively involve your body, but specifically you occupy your hands with the sword and the shield, right? You occupy your hands. We, we don't want idle hands. Idle hands are the the playground of the devil. That's an expression that's been around for a while. And I'm not recommending you have to stay busy all the time. Hear me out. God actually has this rhythm of rest. So this isn't just occupying every minute. But it is about finding good things for your hands to do. 
So this is Thing. If you guys know it, it's from Adam's family, right? And I learned, I learned a lot of new things about Adam's family as I researched this. Is, uh, did you know that it actually started off as a cartoon, a comic strip, right? And, and in that, Thing was this thing that was so despicable, so, uh, so awful that you couldn't look at it. So in the comic, the running gag was, you never saw Thing. But when it was translated to the original black and white show, you had to show it, right? So they had this disembodied hand that would come out of a box, actually played by the guy that played Lurch, and he would sit under the table, stick his arm out, and they would make sure that he was out of the shot, and that, that's how they would do it. And I'm thinking, you know, this whole idea of idle hands are the playground of the devil, is that where thing came from? Is that where they got that concept? Because he seems to be mischievous. He seemed, there seems to be this thing going on. There was actually a movie that I won't mention. Uh, yeah, we'll just not mention it called Idle Hands. That is terrible. And it's, it's about this concept, right? Well, here's, here's this moment where you've got literally this idle hand laying around. But he's not idle. If you actually watch Adam's family, he stays busy helping the members of the family. He's holding the yarn to help uh, Morticia uh, knit. He's, he's at one point in time actually steering, driving the car for them, which is kind of freaky if you think about it. And there's all these other things, but, but Thing is helpful to the people of the family. So it comes down to, what are you doing with your hands? Are you being helpful? Are you busying your hands with the things of God, or are they occupied with the things that are not? And oh, the places you'll go. Uh, by what means? Well, where do you go? Have you ever gotten in the car or started walking somewhere and all of a sudden ended up not where you intended because your brain went on autopilot? Right? I just did it last night. I was driving somewhere, totally missed the intersection because I like started driving to the church because I do that a whole lot, right? And we have this tendency to sometimes just let our feet take us where we're to go. And next thing you know, I'm at the shopping mall with my junior high friends as they begin to shoplift. Or maybe I'm, I'm playing in this apartment courtyard and, and realize that I'm with them doing things that shouldn't be done, right? Well, where do you direct your feet? It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news that proclaim to Zion, our God reigns. Friends, we are to carry the gospel. Actually, that uh, the armor of God, we are to fit our feet with the readiness of the gospel. We are supposed to be ready to share at all times. So do your feet take you into places to share the things of God? Or do they find themselves taking you to places that aren't the best? We need to busy our idle hands. We need to direct our feet and let me ask you this, where do you look? We live in a world saturated with the visual. No matter where we go, whether it's on the internet or even out in public, our eyes glance upon things that it probably should not. And for some of us, we seek it out. For others of us, we're just overwhelmed by it. But what do you do? It says in Matthew 18 that if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two good eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. 
It goes right back to, okay, well, if this should cause you to stumble, what do you do with it? Now, don't pluck out your eye, okay? But let me help you out. This is, this is super practical, is bounce your eyes. Because we are visual creatures, because we can't help what we look at at first, that is not where sin itself resides. It's what we do after that. Do you continue to linger and look, or do you bounce your eyes and look away? Do you turn off the TV, walk out of the movie? Do you turn the, the car around? <laughs> Whatever it might be that is causing your eyes to drift, what do you do there? And my suggestion is bounce. Bounce your eyes. And then we have sinful thoughts. What do you do with those intrusive thoughts that you didn't even originate? Sometimes we entertain them and we let them rattle around in our brain for a while and that's no good. But sometimes, just like our eyes, we chance upon something that gets stuck. What do you do? It says this, just like our eyes, I believe, but set your mind, set your eyes on things above, not on earthly things. You continue to look towards God. You continue to set your mind and think upon such things. Uh, but what do you do with it? Well, I think you need to wrangle your mind. Just like you would, uh, you would sit on that bucking bronco or that, that bull in this case. So this is Lane Frost. Lane Frost uh, is played by Luke Perry in the movie Eight Seconds. But Lane Frost himself was a very famous bull rider. He was great at what he did. And in that movie, you get to see a bunch of things. Well, first of all, Let's not get on the bull, okay? If the bull represents sin, represents those rogue thoughts, let's try not to get on it if, if possible. Let's leave them where they belong, in the chutes or in the, in the pen, right? But there are times that we'll find ourselves up on that bull just like he did. And, and sometimes you've got to last the eight seconds just trying to wrangle that bull. And that bull might throw you off, but you're going to want to get back on the next time you find yourself on there, holding on, right? But one of the things I thought was really interesting is in a couple times in the movies, and I've seen this at professional bull riding events, they get their hands caught in the rope, right? And all of a sudden, they're strapped. They're, they're off, but still stuck to that bull. And what happens? There are professional people in the ring who are trying to manage that bull for him and trying to get his hand freed. We need people like that in our life. There are going to be times that you can't help it. You find yourself with that rogue thought that you just have to hold on for dear life, trying to safely get off of it. But there are times that you desperately need to invite other people into that and say, look, help me. I can't safely get off of this thing. Help me. And you share with them. You tell them what you're struggling with. Maybe it's thoughts of suicide. Maybe it's, it's thoughts of lust. Maybe it's something else. But whatever it is, there's a good chance that if you keep finding yourself there, you have to get help. Get help. Friends, I, I hope this sermon is so practical because I can get up here and tell you to stop it. Or I can possibly give you some tools that'll help you live in that baptism that we talk about, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the journey that we go on with him to take care of our sin issue.
in our preparations for Easter. Back in the ancient church, there, there was this moment where the, the Philip is with the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and he, the Ethiopian eunuch comes to understand that Isaiah is talking about Jesus, and Jesus has come. He is the Messiah. So the Ethiopian eunuch rightfully says, hey, here's some water. What's preventing me from being baptized? So he goes and gets baptized. But in the early church, uh, they had this process and, and they valued baptism in such a way that they elevated it. And so over the years, about 200 years later, uh, they set up kind of these ground rules of what do we do? Well, it should be living water. By the way, living meant rushing cold water. And if, if anybody wants to be like baptized in a very cold river, that's kind of how they used to do it, right? This uh, this home pool, heated pool thing is a luxury, let's just say. But they have this thing where for 200 years, they started preparing people for baptism. So they would kind of go through a catechism, a class, so that they would know what they were being baptized into. And for 40 days, 40 days sound familiar? For 40 days, initiates, people who wanted to get baptized, they would prepare themselves so that at sunrise on Easter day, they would be baptized. That's where the season of Lent came from. And it all focuses on that cross, the dead in Christ, crucified in Christ. It leads up to that cross of Good Friday. It leads to the resurrection, the new life that comes because Jesus has defeated death on that Sunday. And it has everything to do with baptism because we ourselves have been crucified with Christ. We have been buried and we are raised again and we live in that new life. So my hope is that as you live in this new life, that you can busy your hands, you can direct your feet, you can bounce your eyes and wrangle your mind. And friends, you're going to fall. You're going to mess up. But you need to get back up and do it again. Because grace might not abound more because we have sinned more, but grace abounds more because of who Christ is and what he continues to do in our life. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage, and we look forward to continuing to unpack it next week. But as we reflect here this morning, as we go, may we continue in grace, not in sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would please extend your hands and receive this morning's blessing. May you go in the power of the cross. May you remember that moment that you were buried, that the old self was dead and you were raised again. And may you understand more fully the power of the resurrection this week and go in that. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen.